everyone. Welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of the Horse.com. Tonight's topic is managing horses in the summer heat, and it is brought to you by exclusively equine.com, the official store of the horse and the horse.com. It is Thursday, July 25th, 2013, and I just came in from checking on my horses, and it was 99 degrees out there. So I am really glad that we have uh, these two ladies on with us to talk about managing our horses in the heat. I'd like to introduce everyone to our experts, Dr. Nancy Loving, who runs Loving Equine Clinic in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome, Dr. Loving. Thank you. And Dr. Aaron Denny Jones of Florida Equine Veterinary Services in Claremont, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Hello, everyone. So you guys join us strategically because you're in areas that are a little warm. Um, Dr. Loving, you in particular work with endurance horses, is that correct? I have a long history of working with endurance and distance horses, yes. And keeping those guys cool, I, I heard it was pretty warm at the Tevis that just took place. Yeah, I think it's been warm everywhere this year. So, <laughs> having an unusually hot summer. Okay. And Dr. Jones, um, can you tell us a little bit about your area of expertise, especially with these warm horses? Well, I'll say right now I'm not having to worry about it too much. We're not that warm for once. We are getting our afternoon rains and... Uh, plenty of that, and that cools us down for the evening. So we've been pretty lucky this year. Um, I had partaken in the 1995 heat and humidity studies for the 1996 Olympics, so I was pretty much a part of the three-day event uh, preparation for the hot and humid Atlanta Olympics that they were going to have the following year. Okay. And um, you are also an FEI vet, I would also mention. Um, yes, ma'am. Yes. So this event is an hour long. Um, we're going to try to do our best. We always do to stay within that hour time frame. Uh, we got a ton of questions, really great questions. I'm really looking forward to hearing the answers to these questions that our audience has sent in uh, ahead of time. If you're listening live, as always, you can send in questions uh, as we go. You can send in follow-up questions to the conversation that's going on. Um, Alex Beckstedt, who is our managing editor of The Horse, is behind me checking out your questions as they come in and forwarding them to me as we go along. So feel free to do that. You can enter them in your browser console right in front of you as you listen. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in and get started here. Dr. Jones, I have a question from Lori, who is in uh, California, and she wants to know, what are the signs that a horse has overheated, and what should you do to help them when that happens? Well, the outward signs is mostly what the clients will be looking for, and those outward signs are uh, some of the signs you see for other distressful uh, symptoms. So you need to put everything in perspective, the temperature, the humidity outside, as well as what you're seeing. Number one is the horse is rapidly breathing. They're trying to cool themselves off by blowing off the respiratory, the uh, air through the respiratory tract and trying to let out all that hot um, heat through the respiratory tract as well as some may or may not be sweating as well as you'll have a capillary break at the uh, skin. You'll see all the blood vessels coming up to the skin surface, things like that. That's what horse is trying to, again, relieve the heat through sweating or getting the, the blood vessels to the surface. But the number one key, and everybody should have one in their back pocket, in their trail box, whatever they've got, is a thermometer. And a good rectal thermometer will beat anything on telling you where you are with your horse. And taking a rectal temperature of the horse 
would give you a much better idea that your horse is tending to overheat. So what temperature would be one that we'd be concerned about if, if we took that rectal temp on our horse? I always tell my clients 102 degrees or more here in Florida, I'd like to hear from them. That could be just a plain fever for a vaccine reaction. 102 or more could come from being out and being ridden on a good hacking morning where it's pretty hot and humid, and uh, that horse's temperature will start coming down from there. The problem you run into is if the temperature continues to rise. So you need a starting point. Uh, calling your vet at any time, 102 degrees or even 101 degrees or more, is perfectly fine. They're going to make some recommendations. The recommendations will be to ice the horse down or cold hose him down and sweat scrape. Don't leave that water on them because that will inflate them. Sweat scrape it off of them to let the hair pop up and let it get let the capillaries do their job, the blood vessels do their job at the skin by relieving the heat out of the body. The other thing you want to do is get them in shade with a fan on them and uh, try to cool them down that way as well. Okay. I might add something to this, Dr. Loving. Um, What I find with it, especially with horses working in protracted exercise like endurance or combined driving or any eventing type of athletics, is that their temperatures may go as high as 105 in hot weather while they're exercising, but that should come down to less than 103.5 within a very short time. And if it doesn't come down within 20 or even 10 minutes, um, that horse needs some help. And Absolutely. Okay. And Dr. Levin, we have a question that came in from Luella in Maine, and Luella wants to know what the clinical signs of are of a horse that is dehydrated. Well, Dr. Jones alluded to a few things, which were really good points. And in addition, in, in no particular order, what you might get in a habit of training your horse to allow you to check their mucous membranes. And if those membranes are tacky rather than moist, that indicates there's less circulation of fluid in the body, and therefore probably that horse is showing some dehydration. Changes in gum color. Typically, you should see a pink color like under your fingernail on your pinky, and if you push on that, the refill time should be less than two seconds. That would be normal, and anything more than that would be um, indicating some problems with uh, circulation due to dehydration. Um, Skin elasticity is a big one, and I find often people are always pulling up the skin on the neck to see how quickly it returns back to flat. But really a better place to look is on the point of the shoulder or if your horse will allow it, then squeeze um, the upper eyelid and you want to see that snap back very quickly. But keep in mind that a fit horse or a thin horse or without much fat in their tissues um, because it's very fit and conditioned or an old horse or a wet horse may have a delayed skin elasticity, so you, you want to put all these factors together. The other thing is to remember that performance decreases um, even at 2 to 3% dehydration, and unfortunately, by the time you see a lot of these changes in mucous membranes and skin and poor gut sounds and poor recovery heart rates, that horse is probably at least 5% dehydrated. The other thing you might want to check also is the frequency and amount of urination, so keep in mind when you're riding if your horse is taking his normally long peas, and how, what the color of that urine looks like. And then, of course, an extreme case of dehydration would be a horse that has, is depressed, the eyes are kind of sunken in, and maybe the abdomen is all tucked up and looking very gaunt. Okay. And Dr. Loving, what would be the consequences of having a horse that was dehydrated? Dehydration in, coupled with uh, loss of electrolytes through sweat, which is... Um, more of an issue in uh, distance horses would 
be serious enough that the horse could develop an impaction colic or uh, muscle cramps called myositis or tying up, or they can develop something called thumps, which is uh, a fluttering of the flank because the phrenic nerve crosses the atrium of the heart and connects to the diaphragm, and every time that heart beats, that, uh, the flank will start to twitter in exactly the same regularity as the heartbeat, and that's a symptom that the horse is dehydrated and undergoing electrolyte disturbances. And Dr. Levin, we have a question that came in from Kelsey in Iowa, and Kelsey wants to know how hot would you say is too hot to do any sort of training with your horse, and what kind of work is acceptable on a 90-plus degree day? That's an excellent question. Um, there are a couple ways that we do this as a general rule called a heat index because it's difficult to get an actual wet bulb measurement that measures um, the temperature and the dew point, which is the moistness of the air. So we use a heat index, and that's very simply done by adding together the degrees in Fahrenheit, in this case she's saying 90, with the percent humidity. And if that combination is less than 120, so for example, if you have uh, 80 degrees and 40% humidity, that horse is going to be able to normally cool itself. Um, the mechanisms will be sufficient to dissipate heat out of the horse's internal body. At 140 or more, uh, the horse is relying on sweat to cool itself, and over 150, the, the cooling mechanisms are compromised, and that horse will need help, and particularly if the humidity is more than 50% of that 150 additive number. And then, of course, over 160, which would be something like 90 degrees and, um, you know, 65% humidity or more, you, the horse has no natural means to cool and relies completely on external cooling mechanisms that you as the rider must provide. So all in all, if you have a temperature reading and humidity combined that's over 150, you probably should not ride that day. And uh, Dr. Jones, I'd like to add that with uh, the type of horse that you're riding is also going to make a significant difference. Dr. Loving's very <clears throat> familiar with the Arabian styles that have a, diff a different muscle and fat content, especially the endurance ones. They're very fit. Their, their fat levels are very, very low. I've had experience of working with very heavy draft horses. So the combination of the heat and humidity is much lower. We were stopping them around 100 to 110 and limiting their work. Uh, believe it or not, at that low of a temperature, low of a combination, because they were getting overheated so f quickly because of the amount of fat layers that were on the draft horses that were being used in that kind of uh, weather and temperature. Okay. And Dr. Jones, I have worked with a draft horse in the past, and what I was told was that she needed more time to cool down after exercise. Is that something that that you've found with the draft horses? Yeah, they tend to take a little bit longer than a very fit, conditioned horse. And, and like Dr. Loving said at the very beginning, and I was alluding to, is that the horses that are fit can get 105 temperatures in the middle of their work, but they should rapidly be coming down. The horses that don't rapidly come down are those that don't have an ability to get the blood vessels to the skin and thus release the heat, and they have a lot of extra fat layers. So it would be like you and I in a fur coat or in a nice big uh, hefty uh, down jacket that's out in hot weather. We just can't really let that uh, perspiration off of our skin because we've got that other layer on top. Um, and Dr. Loving, I just want to add one thing that the mechanically minded might enjoy doing. Um, we used to have available a commercial thermistor, which is a little device that has electrodes pads mm -hmm. that sit under the 
saddle pad up on the withers and then a rounding pad down uh, in a different location on the back. And those things would read out the temperature of the skin. And normally, the skin should be within a couple of degrees of the same as rectal temperature. And it's a great device that somebody could pick up some parts from Radio Shack and, pre and make something like that if you're very concerned, particularly for eventers and distance riders. And that lets you gauge how your horse is doing. And if the temperature is under 101, you probably your horse is not getting enough circulation to the skin to actually be cooling. And if it's over 103, then the horse is too hot. And we've used that on several occasions with horses that were in compromised situations at elite endurance competitions. And if the person rode within a certain temperature range, the horses were able to finish the competition successfully. Okay. And Dr. Jones, we have a question for you about horses that don't sweat, um, horses with anhydrosis. How do you manage a horse that doesn't sweat in the heat? And this is a question from Chris in Orlando, Florida. It's a very good question, especially here in Florida. We see that more often than I've seen in any of the states I've worked in. And these horses are a challenge. At the University of Florida, they just finished a study using acupuncture, and they uh, had the acupuncture sites for anhydrosis, and then they had non-sites for the control horses, and they found no huge statistical difference between horses that were control and horses that actually got the proper acupuncture sites. But clinically, I've seen them improve with acupuncture. Needless to say, that was to lead me into the discussion that the University of Florida's total discussion on anhydrosis when they released these results is that a lot of horses spontaneously start to sweat again uh, without any kind of prior treatment protocol, whatever we've done, change of environment. And uh, they like to, we all like to claim the last thing that was given. Was it the acupuncture? Was it the 1AC product that everybody talks about that's over-the-counter? Was it a particular medication given by a veterinarian? Or was it simply they changed to a different bar that had better ventilation? It could be any one of those factors, but there's never been a strong enough study to say that those are the ones that will correct these horses. As far as managing them, the big thing is you've got to keep them cool during the hottest time of the day. So if this means that they need to be out under a big shade tree and cooled off with a hose and sweat scrape every couple hours or every hour, that's what you need to do. If you need to put them inside in a stall that's very ventilated with a huge fan on them and also hose them down and sweat scrape them off, you need to do that. But you need to make sure they're not sitting out there huffing and puffing and not sweating because their temperature will continually increase over the hours and make them extremely hot, very uncomfortable. They will not eat. And then we're going to go into the sequelas that Dr. Loving was speaking about. And of course, our number one worry that we all worry about is colic because their digestive system starts to slow down due to some dehydration or they're not eating appropriately or drinking appropriately. So, Dr. Jones, are there varying degrees of anhydrosis? Is it, do some horses sweat less than others, or is an anhydrosis the complete absence of sweating? Anhydrosis uh, definition is the complete absence of sweating, and those are the ones that really uh, get us the most upset about trying to fix. Those that sweat a little bit, with some change of management, we seem to get them to sweat a bit more under conditions of riding or under conditions of being out in the heat in the summer. So it just depends on where your horse is sitting. There are some horses, truly, that will sweat profusely and be dripping just after a nice casual trail ride in the shade. And then that same horse who has a pasture buddy will be out with them, and they'll come in wet underneath the saddle pad, wet underneath the mane, wet between the back cheeks, and be doing just as well. So you don't have to be a profusely sweating horse to say that you're a great sweater. As long as you're releasing the heat, you're not coming back blowing your nostrils, 
breathing very hard and a rectal temperature that's going up rather than down, uh, that horse is still doing fine as long as it's sweating. Dr. Levin, we have a really popular question. I've got lots of variations of this question. Uh, this one is from Deborah, who is in Indiana, and she wants to know what special considerations might an owner have to think about when managing a horse that has Cushing's disease during the summer heat. Do you have any suggestions for those those horses that, that might be compromised? An excellent question, because as our horses live longer, this is inevitable that many of them will develop uh, Cushing's-type syndrome. So. What I would like to do first is urge everyone to get a positive diagnosis that this is what's wrong with their horse rather than just um, speculating. You should definitely consult with your veterinarian and um, make sure that you are on the right track. And then if this horse is positive for uh, pushing, then there is a treatment called pergolide, which is very good at managing these horses so that their metabolism moves back more to a normal range. One of the problems with a pushing horse is that they have difficulty with their thermoregulatory system and the, their body thermostat just doesn't work as well and they do tend to get overheated, particularly for those of those uh, Cushing horses with the very long shaggy hair coat. So a lot of this is common sense and much like what um, Dr. Jones reported about managing an antihydrotic horse would be put the horse in, get, provide them shelter and shade and fans when necessary, uh, take the uh, electric clippers out and get rid of that long shaggy hair coat for the summertime and then uh, obviously their weight needs to be managed appropriately because any layers of fat that are extra on that horse are going to provide an insulating barrier to heat dissipation and then always provide ample water. Okay. And uh, Dr. Loving, we have a question that's come in from our live audience. Barbara in New York wants to know if a horse will eventually become acclimated to the heat. You know, as summer goes along, do they get used to it being warm out? Yes, there is a process called acclimatization that usually takes for altitude and or hot heat and humidity, and that usually takes at least three weeks. And people who are competing, uh, this is good information for you as well, because if you're traveling from the arid west to the moist, humid uh, east coast to compete, then those horses probably need three weeks to actually acclimatize to be able to compensate for the change in climate. But if you don't have three weeks to spend there, then it's better to get there, do your competition, and get out because they won't be able to adjust in time. But horse living in a bad environment of heat and humidity certainly will be able to compensate over time because their sweat glands will function better. And as you condition and get that horse fitter, then they will have a much better capability of heat dissipation from the body. Okay. Um, Dr. Jones, we have another question that was very popular. We got lots of questions regarding older horses in the summer heat. And this particular question is from Deborah in Ohio. And Deborah says, I would expect that aging horses, even if healthy, may not be able to handle the heat the same as younger animals. If that is true, are there any special considerations for our beloved seniors? I think Dr. Loving handled this one very well with the discussion on the Cushing's horses. Those horses do have some problem with thermoregulation, and you do have to consider that. And again, I also agree with her. You need to get a proper diagnosis on that prior to treating it and then go forward with treating, as well as those horses, whether you're treating them or not, will most likely still continue to grow their long hair that they're uh, known for, and that hair has to continually stay off of them in order to stay cooler. 
now if I would take an average older horse that may come back negative on the Cushing's test, not have the long hair, and pair it against a four-year-old or five-year-old, you may not have a big difference between those two because that older horse may be healthy in all other ways and have no problems. So I can't really say as a general fact that every single aging horse in my practice is having a problem with the heat here in Florida. I think there are those that have their issues, such as the Cushing's, or may have some other issues going on that do allow them to have the problems that they do with the heat, but there are still the special few seniors that are doing quite well with the heat. Okay. Um, our next question is for Dr. Loving, and it's from Janet in Louisiana. And Janet shows cutting horses, and she says sometimes they require a lot of riding down, which she put in quotes, prior to showing. Um, she said, this worries me in the heat of the day. Even the so-called air-conditioned arenas can be very hot. Is it, is it enough to give water electrolytes and a good cool-down after showing? Well, that's an interesting question because every arena is going to be different. But I would uh, stress that warming up your horse before you start any intensive exercise is just as important as the cool down. And uh, you should take as long as necessary to cool that horse down till the chest is cool to touch. And one way that you can help that horse cool off after riding is to sponge and soak at least until that chest is cool to touch. And as Dr. Jones said, you can't just leave that water on. It needs to be scraped off continuously in order to allow the heat to come out of the horse. Otherwise, the, uh, the water that's left on there serves as an insulating barrier to heat dissipation. The other thing, of course, is I would recommend offering free choice salt or an electrolyte-laced water rather than um, forcing electrolytes. And most horses that are ridden in show-type um, circumstances or even racehorses do not probably need forced electrolyte supplementation. That is probably something that's more required of the distance horses that are sweating for prolonged periods for many, many hours. Their sweat is very um, loaded with salts, and over time and distance, they will lose a lot of uh, salts as well as fluid. But for a horse in a uh, cutting competition, uh, probably offering free choice options for taking that salt in is better than just forcing it down to the horse. Okay. And Dr. Loving, we have a related question that's come in from the live audience. Stacy in California wants to know if table salt is possibly better than feeding electrolytes on hot and humid days. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, actually a combination of, of Morton's table salt and uh, light salt, one-third light salt to two parts table salt is a very good electrolyte combination to replace the deficit. The thing with electrolytes that are obtained commercially is you need to make sure they're not full of sugar because a lot of those things are full of sugar, and that's not what you want to be giving the horse. You want to be giving them salt. And many electrolyte combinations that are commercially available are just fine to give, so it's really your preference. The uh, table salt and light salt combo is quite inexpensive, as you can well imagine. Um, Dr. Jones, we have a question from Jay in New Jersey, and Jay wants to know what is the best management practice for a horse attending a week-long horse show in the heat. And Dr. Loving has mentioned that maybe get in and get out if you can't be there for very long, um, and you need three weeks to acclimate the horse if you have that. Do you have any other suggestions, though, during a week-long show where you could help make a horse more comfortable in the heat? Those are a challenge, especially for the amateur owner. I 
totally agree with Dr. Loving in the fact that you do need to give a minimum of three weeks for horses to acclimate to whatever climate they're moving to, which is why the winter circuits and then the summer circuits are so popular because people can stay there for many months, if not many weeks, and the horses finally get acclimated and they start really winning or doing well at the shows. The other things you can consider doing is doing smaller amounts of feeding to your horse. Don't do the large concentrate meals um, at your shows. Maybe do smaller uh, amounts of food during a, throughout the day to help encourage more drinking and make sure the digestive tract is continuing to move. The other problem you run into when you go to these uh, events is the smell of the water may be different. So a lot of people have used the trick of, and of course these are sugar-based, but you can maybe try an electrolyte-based water uh, that has electrolytes in it or water that has Gatorade or Kool-Aid in it to give it that same smell every time they drink it as they're going from place to place to place. But I would not recommend you start that at a show. You need to do that at home to make sure your horse does drink those types of products in their water because as you go to these competitions and change up things, your horse may not drink. And we all know we don't drink enough water as humans when we're out sweating and working and you can't consider the horse is going to do any better than us. So drinking water is going to be paramount. Getting used to the environment is very paramount. Getting in, getting out would be more for a weekend show, a week-long show. You really should try to take the time to acclimate them because they're going to be exhausted. More than anything else, they're going to just show exhaustion from overheating. I have one of those horses that won't drink strange water, and it's very frustrating and sometimes very scary. Um, How long can the horse go without drinking before you need to be really concerned about it? (laughs) Depends on what you're doing. If you're doing a lot of showing and they're sweating... So let's say the endurance trail riding or the venting horse, they can't go very long at all. If you're having casual trail rides and you're out enjoying um, a uh, couple-week event with your friends, RVing with your horses, you could go a little bit longer because you're in a cooler envir- or cooler shaded area and you're not pushing the horse to its own degree. So it kind of depends on what you're doing with these horses that you should not keep it, but I would not recommend that you go for days. You need to have that horse drinking within a few hours after you get back from whatever you're doing and make sure that they're replenishing what they've used up. The other thing, too, and I know people have tried this, it just depends on how long you're gone and what your capacity is. Some people have brought just water jugs from home. That does get to be quite heavy on your trailer and gas usage uh, trying to haul that. So that's why a lot of people have gone to flavoring the water so that they all smell and taste the same. Okay. Um, Dr. Loving, our next question is for you, and this is a really great question that came in from Mark in New Mexico. And Mark says, fact or fiction, clear watery sweat indicates good conditioning while thick lathery sweat indicates an unconditioned horse. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, What that lathering is, is it's a protein that lives in the uh, sweat gland. And it's sort of a detergent like what we call a surfactant. Um, protein that helps disperse the wa- the uh, sweat water onto the fur because basically these horses are kind of waterproof with their hair coat. And so this is nature's way of putting this protein in there to work as a wetting agent that facilitates evaporative cooling. And the actual um, protein is called lathalin, and it reduces the water surface tension, and that just helps get through that fur coat, or hair coat, I should say, on the horses. Um, now, whether or not that shows whether the horse is conditioned or not, my experience and from all the research that I've done, it seems that once these horses, and just based on watching endurance horses for 30-some years, once these horses are fit, 
they don't have as much of that protein left in their sweat glands because they're regularly sweating, and so that protein material is not as in a much abundance as it would be on an unfit horse. So you just see a horse that's not very fit has a lot of that slippery lather between their haunches, for example, whereas a fit horse won't. So I think it's a, um, you could say casually that that probably does have some indication that one horse is fitter than another when it's not lathered. Okay. Thanks. Um, we have a question for Dr. Jones that came in from Olga, who is in Russia. And Olga wants to know how long it should take to walk a horse out after exercise to cool it. And we have a similar question that's come in from Brittany, who's listening live in Atlanta. And Brittany asks, what is the best way to cool a hot horse safely after cross-country? I've heard different methods. Boots off, cold water, scraping, alcohol, ice, walking, etc. So, Dr. Jones... How long does it take, and what are the best methods for cooling out a horse? Um, again, it goes back to what you're using the horse for. So the eventing crowd, which I'm the most familiar with with these studies, <clears throat> as they're cooling out these horses, they are walking them. They're hand walking them. They're trying to find shade to walk them in. They're also dumping ice water so cold that you're, it's freezing your hands. They're dumping ice water in sponges or in buckets full, sweat scraping them as they're moving and walking to help get the respiratory rate down and get their core temperatures down. And these horses were, are drenched from top to bottom, head to tail, um, in their gluteals, in their shoulder area. You can ice boot when you get back to the barn, but that would be after the horse is back to its normal level of breathing normally, good normal temperature, and I would say even for the event horses that come off the uh, cross-country course, we're seeing them, again, 100, 300, 405. Some of them come in very fit at 102, and it's kind of nice to see those, but we'll let them go back to the barn depending on the heat and humidity that day, but usually around the 102 uh, temp, they're going back to the barn. When they get back to the barn, they should continue to drop again. If they're going back up, you're going to have to repeat all your heat and humidity cooling that you should have been doing at the um, end of the or end of the uh, cross-country phase, which is, again, walking them in the shade area, sweat scraping. You can sweat scrape the sweat off of them. You can sweat scrape the ice bucket and the ice um, water off of them. And the amount of time you have to walk them depends on how quickly the temperature comes down. So you can watch their nostrils, how fast are they blowing, their flanks, how fast are they going in and out. And that will give you a good idea is if they are starting to cool off and feel better, they're going to do less and less of that because they don't need to blow that uh, hot air out of their body to relieve some of that heat. Okay. Just add something here that's probably really important, this Dr. Loving. Um, my experience in the western United States is if you pour ice water on the entire horse, you will probably end up with a tied-up horse depending on, the, of course, the speed at which they were going and the exercise on demand. Um, but for distance horses or horses that are working typically aerobically, if you pour ice water on those haunches, the rate of evaporative cooling in this dry climate is going to possibly cause a contraction of the blood vessels in the muscles, and the muscles will actually overheat instead of cool off, and they will tie up. So it's just something to be cautious about, and it's always safe to say maybe just stick to everything in front of the withers, uh, head, neck, and legs, and uh, leave the hindquarters alone. And that would and probably be good for the endurance. For the eventing, definitely go for the hindquarters. It's been proven that it does not tie up the hindquarters of the event horses. Okay. And is that a difference in humidity from west coast to east coast? Yes. Okay. Um, so, Dr. Levin, we have a question that came in from Ari in Ontario, Canada. And Ari says, I was wondering how much heat neoprene products, this is a really great question, <laughs> uh, neoprene products such as uh, 
boots retain and how much that affects the horse when it's hot out. I was also wondering if saddle pad material can really make a difference in how hot your horse gets while being ridden. Uh, do saddle pads with sweat wicking linings make a difference at all? Well, I can tell you based on personal experience having used uh, a lot of neoprene girths and split boots um, over 50, 7,500 miles, I've not seen any problem and I think they make an excellent product because it provides a decreased friction area where you commonly see rubs, like on, on leg boots or in girth area. Um, saddle pads that breathe are wonderfully useful. Um, one I've always used is a Supercore pad, and it's a honeycomb material that they use in, use in wheelchairs and hospital beds, and it seems to have some ability to, to let air circulate through. Um, so that's one kind of idea. And the other with the wicking material, is good to use as long as it's not something that will trap heat. Like I don't know how a, a shearling we've used the sheepskin type of pads on endurance horses with good success. So I think it's going to depend on your horse and how hot that you're riding. And I think the bottom line here is that people should learn to ride or, or try to figure out how to ride so that their horse is not getting overheated. And if you keep to a pace that the horse is conditioned for relative to the condition of the, the climate of the day, then you shouldn't have to worry too much about your saddles and saddle pads and um, neoprene material. Okay. Well, and Dr. Jones, I agree with what Dr. Loving said, especially that, you know, the neoprene is a great experience on my part, too, is that they all work, you know, very well. And, uh, again, it, it depends on all that doesn't really depend on the equipment as much as it does on how you're working your horse. Okay. And, Dr. Jones, our next question um kind of goes back to what we were talking about as far as cooling the horses and using ice water and whether on the haunches or the rest of the body. Uh, this question is from Danielle in Vermont. And Danielle says, when competing in show jumping, conventional horsemanship suggests that you should not bathe a hot horse because he may tie up. However, at the racetrack, I see grooms hose down the horses right after they cross the finish line. Is it better to cool down a hot horse immediately or wait to have him hand walked and then cool and let them cool down on their own? Well, my experience, I'm watching them being hand-walked, and then the cooling starts because they're usually being hand-walked with the equipment on. And as the equipment finally gets off, then they're starting to be hosed down. So there is some hand-walking prior to using the hosing on these horses, and that's, you know, all the events that I've seen. So I, I do think, yes, there is, as uh, we have talked about earlier, Dr. Loving has expressed it very, very well, is that there's always a warming up and cooling down of your horse. So you're coming off a racetrack, you're bringing this, this galloping horse down to a canter, down to a trot, down to a walk, and you're walking off the track. Now you're not just stopping at a dead still and then deciding to hose your horse down while he's huffing and puffing, staying there on the track. There, there's purpose time of them getting back to the paddock area and to the barns to take care of them, and that's all good walking distance. And that is part of the cooling down of a horse is hand-walking them and then getting them to their barn or their stable, and then you start the hosing down and the icing down but if it's necessary to ice down if they're that hot. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Loving, we have a question that's come in from Kelly in California who is listening live right now. And she has a question about those, um, those neck bands that you, you put water on them and then put them on your neck. I know I used those when I was a, a riding instructor and they made the summers much more bearable. Do they make anything like that for the horse or would putting something cool over the neck help the horse? Yes, they do make those um, ice pack type uh, things that you can wrap around the horse's neck. And believe it or not, I've had one in my uh, 
Actor for a long time and never used them. I just gave it to a friend to try. So I can't tell you how they work, but they should work great because it's pulling heat out of the jugular vein right there, which is a huge um, vessel right along the neck. The other thing I, I do want to also mention is that people should remember that the, these horses dissipate heat not just through sweat, but they also dissipate it through the lungs, as Dr. Jones had mentioned, but through just radiant heat coming off of their body. So whenever it's possible, pull the saddle and the pad off to, as you're at a resting area or resting time and let the horse um, be relieved of the equipment that's holding in heat. Okay. Um, our next question is from Sharon in Ocala, Florida. And Sharon, um, and Dr. Levin, I'm going to send this over to you. Uh, Dr. Jones, you can jump in also if you have any comments. Um, it's, Sharon says, I'm a carriage driver, and I compete in combined driving events. After competing an uneventful 7K marathon course, I went to the vet check station where I was told my horse's pulse and respirations were inverted. Please explain this concept to me and the cause for an inversion. Okay, the inver an inversion simply means that the respiratory rate is is faster than the heart rate, and a lot of and basically what the horse is doing is panting, much like a dog hangs out its tongue to relieve heat from its body. That's the only way that a dog can really cool. But a horse can use that same method of blowing air past the, the lungs and moving it through the system, and they can dissipate about 15% of their heat load that way. And just because the horse is inverted doesn't mean that it's unfit or incapable of coping with the stress of the day. It just means it's hot. But that inversion, meaning the respiratory rate is very rapid, should come down very quickly and get back to more of a normal respiratory rate of uh, 12, preferably to 24 in a short period of time. Okay. And we are going to move into some management type questions now. And Dr. Loving, this first one's for you. Jean in Colorado wants to know or about a how at a friend's ranch, the owner withholds water during the day so that the horses will come in at night to drink. Uh, the horses are on pasture all day or on dry lots without shade. Is this dangerous during a hot, dry, 90-degree day? And to her, the horses always seem thirsty. Now, that's an interesting way to um, bring them in. I would recommend to start um, that withholding water at any time from a horse is never a good idea and that there are other ways to get them in, like offering hay or a small amount of feed supplements. Um, they will come in at night. In fact, my horse lives out on 460 acres, and they all come in at night because they know they're going to get fed. So withholding water is not necessarily a good trick. Um, one recent study of exercise horses reported that around 91 to 95 degrees and 80 to 85% humidity, the water intake increased by 79% for these horses over a four-hour period. So withholding water in hot weather is not a good plan. That said, um, my experience when I practiced out in Nevada for a couple of years is that you see these wild horses out there, and they travel many miles to water every day, and they may only drink once a day, but several things is they, they are not being forced exercised, and their forage situation is different from a pasture-fed horse that um, may get some moisture from the green materials but a hay-fed horse does not get any kind of moisture from their forage because it's all dried out, and so they need a considerable greater amount of water to process their food. Um, Dr. Jones, we had a lot of questions that, that people had about putting fly sheets on their horses because summer means more flies and bugs, uh, but it also means it's hotter out. And so people want to know, 
is it ever too hot to put a fly sheet on a horse and we have questions from Jenny in Minnesota and then also from Lois in Virginia along those lines. Do you have any thoughts on that? Any recommendations you make for your clients? Most of the fly sheets that my clients are using are very breathable. I have many, believe it or not, many black horses in my practice that have fly sheets during the day. They don't have much for shade in the paddocks they're in and they've got the extreme fly bite allergy. I've never seen their coat look any better since they started to use the fly sheets. Uh, They definitely are not too hot underneath those fly sheets. They're not coming in soaking wet. I'll see them for vaccinations, and they'll be bringing them in, take that sheet off, and they're dry as a bone underneath there because of the way they ventilate them. And they're they're very, very good in the ventilations when it comes to an actual fly sheet. Uh, The other regular sheets, of course, don't. The other thing with fly sheets and, and especially if you use the fly sheet material on the leg coverings, these horses are given so much relief and they can stand quietly and so they're not pounding the ground all day, which has to help with their cooling since they're not exercising, if you will, by stamping at the flies all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Levin, we have a question that's come in from a live audience. It's from Lenny in Nevada. And Lenny wants to know if horses need shade or can they stand in the, the sun all day without it. Well, they can stand in the sun all day, but it's nice if they have shade. Um, as a mammal, they're able to thermoregulate to within a certain number of degrees and keep their metabolism at that uh, temperature in a healthy horse. So they should be able to handle the, the sunshine um, with just like us, if you're in Death Valley or somewhere that's exceedingly hot, that won't work. But in normal conditions, even up to 105, 109 degrees like we've experienced recently throughout the country, um, these horses do fine as long as they're not asked to work too hard or at all. And, of course, this is Dr. Jones. That's only two cents, and I know it's not a heat and humidity discussion, but the thing I'd be concerned about is cancer on the pink-skinned horses. Okay. So that's sun exposure. Um We also have a question. This one's going to go to Dr. Loving from Robin in Florida. And so Dr. Jones has already mentioned using Gatorade or something to flavor water. But Robin is asking about giving Gatorade to a horse every day. Is it safe to give my horse two scoops of powdered Gatorade daily? He sweats a lot after exercise three or four times a week. And he sweats um, even just when he's turned out and standing under a tree. Is it safe? And is that enough? Uh, she says, my horse loves to drink Gatorade, <laughs> and she emphasizes that. It might be a nice treat, but um, my experience is most horses that are not engaged in protracted exercise of distance riding or combined driving or something, eventing, don't need to be forcibly uh, fed electrolyte supplements, and it's better to offer free choice salt lick or a block. Um, also, uh, and I'd have to check this, but I believe that Gatorade is loaded with sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might entice your horse to eat it when he doesn't really need the salt component of that product. And so, you know, sugar and fructans and all those sort of compounds can cause all sorts of other metabolic problems, especially in older horses. So I would not be inclined to force feed the powdered Gatorade, but put it in a bucket of water, and if they want to drink it, that's fine. And if they don't need it, then they won't drink it. Okay. But then you might have that to uh, throw in your water bucket if they don't want to drink when you're traveling. So uh, Robin's fortunate that her horse likes it for that. (laughs) I say as someone who has a horse that won't drink water when we travel. Um, 
I wish you liked Gatorade. Uh, Dr. Jones, uh, we have a question from Ursula in uh, California, and Ursula wants to know, well, she says it's really hot up here in the high desert in California, and she wants to know if there are pros and cons of installing a mister in a corral to help cool the horses. Well, Dr. Loving, since you worked in Nevada, you might be able to add to this, uh, but I'll tell you right now, here in Florida, with the humidity that we have that's very high, there are, there are a lot of places that have misters in their loafing sheds, and uh, they're the best thing. We also have them, believe it or not, in our theme parks here in central Florida and Orlando for the people that are attending the theme parks in the middle of summer. They're, they're still misting in the wintertime, too, on very hot days, but they're very much used in the summertime. So even in a humid environment like we have, the misters work beautifully, and I can't imagine that it wouldn't be a great thing to have in a dry uh, climate as well. I can't see downside to it, and if you put it in a position where the horses don't have to be misted, then they can choose what they want. Um, we have a question, Dr. Loving. This was another really popular question, and it's from Rebecca in Texas. And Rebecca wants to know if there are any supplements she should be giving her horse during the hot weather months. You know, we've talked a little bit about electrolytes. Is there anything else that a horse might need? Uh, I, I think offering the free choice salt is always necessary because it's the one nutrient that horses can't find in their food. They have to be provided uh, salt. Um, but the other thing that, rather than giving specific supplements, what I would encourage people is to be aware of heating feeds with what we call a high heat index. And those are things like alfalfa and oats that um, create quite a bit of internal heat generated just from the metabolic processing of those foodstuffs. And there are other products that are not so heating, like grass hay, for example, relative to alfalfa. And uh, if you can avoid those heating feeds, then your horse will be better off. So it's not so much a question of what supplements to give, but what kind of quality of feed materials that you provide. Okay. And Dr. Jones, our next question is for you. It's from Marilyn in Pennsylvania. And Marilyn says that at her barn, several boarders have installed small fans in their horse's stalls. She says, my horse seems to have allergies and sneezes and rubs his nose on his legs quite a bit. I'm reluctant to in install a fan for fear that it will blow around unseen pollutants or pollens that will aggravate uh, his already annoying condition. What are your thoughts about balancing the horse's comfort in the heat with uh, the possibility of having some respiratory allergy issues? Well, in that particular situation, he's actually getting exposed to all those little microorganisms uh, and micropollutants that uh, she doesn't think he's getting um, exposed to just because there's circulation going in that barn. It's not just their stalls that's circulating all the dust and, and stuff. that They're blowing it into the other stalls. So if this horse is next to one of those stalls that has a fan in it, the horse is being affected by that fan. So there's really not much... You know, unless she isolates this horse to an outside area that she could do to avoid their fans. As far as a, a horse that has that in your own barn, let's say it's your own private barn in the back, there are the biggest uh, complications you're going to run into is just the dust within your own barn, the way it's ventilated to keep a good blow uh, airflow through. So you need to know um, how you orient your barn so you get the breeze going through the stalls as well as the aisleway and that you have a good heat release through the ventilation in the roof. It's not just a straight metal roof, you actually have some venting to let the heat out or cupolas to help the heat come out or some sort of fan pulling the heat out. 
and that will keep it airflow going because you'll need to move the airflow even in horses with allergy problems because your bedding will be dusty. And as they're kicking the bedding up looking for hay on the ground or in their bedding area, they're just going to be breathing in some of those dust and allergens as well. So not necessarily having a fan on your stall is going to increase their problem. It will increase it a little bit. They will still be affected by some of the dust and allergens just from overhead dust of the rafters and um, the dust coming up from your shavings. And the type of shavings you use will be more dusty in certain aspects than other types of uh, uh, bedding that you're using. Okay. And Dr. Jones, we have a question that's come in live, and I know you love baby horses, so I'm going to give this one to you. Um, Julie in Georgia wants to know, how do you keep young foals born during the summer months cool? Provide shade, provide a uh, cool environment for them to hang out in in the pasture. Pastures that don't have any loafing sheds or tree coverage would not be a good option for these newborns because they definitely overheat. They do not thermoregulate very well in the first couple weeks of life, and they need to have some help in that thermoregulation. That means providing a cool spot for them to lay down and sleep, which they do a lot of in their first couple weeks of life as well. The um, trees usually provide a good sandy or dirt area underneath because the grass doesn't grow very well underneath trees because it doesn't get the light and the rain. And a lot of times they do tend to be drawn to those spots because they like to lay in the sand and the dirt and do a little bit of a dirt bath as they're rolling and scratching themselves. But if you are finding that all they do is tend to pick the sun area, you may have to formulate a plan of not turning them out during the hottest time of the day and just have them out during a very cooler time of the day, whether it's very early, early morning or just before the sun goes down. Okay, and we have another uh, baby-related question, and it's uh, from Tara. And Tara is in Minnesota, and she wants to know about foals that seem to sweat a lot more than the adult horses. Is that normal for a foal to be really sweaty when other horses aren't? Yes, again, it goes back to the thermoregulation of a foal. They have a different heating and cooling system than the adults do. So if they are sweating a lot more, it's an overaction of them trying to dissipate the heat because that's their best way to do it. Uh, their lung capacity is not like an adult lung capacity in trying to blow the heat out through the respiratory system like they're doing. So they will sweat a little bit more, and and I'd say, you know, amen that they are sweating that well for you um, because shutting down would be the worst thing you'd want to see on these babies. Okay. Um, Dr. Loving, we have a question that's come in from our live audience, um, and it has to do with a horse's reaction while you're cooling them out. It's Susie in California, and she wants to know, is it normal for a horse to hunch over when you first hose near the croup, or is that related to something else? Well, that goes back to what I was suggesting before, that in certain parts of the country that that horse may not need to be cooled down over the croup with actual water because it may actually cause um, the blood vessels to constrict back and then the horse will get a little bit of cramp. And some horses just don't like water hitting them that suddenly. So I would suggest starting on the lower legs and working up slowly and kind of use your hand to kind of get that area wet before you just throw the hose right over the back and start over on the haunches. Um, our next question is for Dr. Jones, and it's from Shelby in Wyoming. And Shelby says that uh, she has a black and white paint that gets sunburnt on the top of his back every year. The skin turns pink, and he usually loses his hair in places. We've tried the most powerful sunscreens we can get. Do you have any suggestions on what's going on and how to prevent the sunburn? 
the sunscreens are usually our best suggestion for those areas. The other things you can try are the fly sheets that have some UV protection in them. There are some that are made with that, and they, again, will uh, breathe very well and may provide the protection they might need. They could actually, it depends on how large that area is, they could actually maybe even sew in a nice little uh, pad of some sort, uh, you know, a little 4x4 four four or 6x6 six six area, if that's all it is, that uh, will block, have a UV protection um, sheet, uh, I mean, sorry, UV protection type material, and just sew it into your fly sheet and just uh, place it right in that spot so there is a direct UV protection in that spot that's getting the excessive sun. Most of the time in Florida, we're using the sunscreen, though, and uh, the fly sheets. Okay. And to say one more thing, too, that... Um, because I've had to deal with this as well, is put the horse inside in the day and out at night. That gives you the best of both options. Okay. Um, our next question is from our live audience. And uh, Dr. Loving, I'm going to give this one to you. It's from Nancy in South Carolina. And she wants to know if alfalfa can cause overheating issues for a 35-year-old Cushing's horse that can't eat regular hay. Is there well, any reason to not feed alfalfa during warm weather? No, I mean, when you have a specialized case like that, you need to consider quality of life and keeping calories going into a horse that's already stressed. And so my suggestion is, like we talked about before, make sure that the horse has access to shade and fans if necessary and misting coolers if you, if you have that option and um, provide plenty of water and monitor the horse carefully. And in which case, you need to feed what you need to feed to keep calories going in and keep the horse healthy. Okay. And Dr. Loving, we have a question that's from Deborah in Kentucky, and she asked, should I put my horses in the barn during the hot hours of the day under fans? How do you make that decision? Well, I think that's a reasonable option in extremely hot and humid climates. I think in most other cases it's probably, you know, unnecessary, but it won't hurt. Um, but a run-in shed with or a tree grove with shade seems to work just quite well. And um, as Dr. Jones mentioned, the fly sheets um, can really help block some of that ultraviolet, and particularly on dark horses. So I think that's a personal decision in most cases. And if it's really hot and humid, there's no downside to putting them in with the fans. Okay. Um, our next question is for Dr. Jones, and it's from Linda in California. And Linda says, is it possible for horses to experience heat stroke? What kind of clinical signs would be observed under such a situation? Well, the heat stroke and, and heat exhaustion are two different things that you have to differentiate, you know, in the, uh, in the human world. And <clears throat> I, I think what she's looking for is like a heat exhaustion where they get so um, overheated again, like we have talked about, that um, they are um, not able to do normal functions and, you know, just are a lot more lethargic, where the heat stroke is something that's a bit more... Um, um, uh, emergency type situation, down and out, they're non-responsive, that kind of thing. And those are, I would find, in my um, experience, a lot more of a rare case, if that's the case at all. There's usually some other function going on for a heat stroke in a horse. So again, I think we've gone over the heat exhaustion um, signs of a horse and the fact that they're going to be overheating, they're not coming back down to normal temperature even with the help that you're giving them, and they tend to start going into the signs and symptoms that Dr. Loving was talking about earlier where they start to shut down, their capillary refill time gets a little bit longer, um, they're not able to uh, take care of the organs, so you may start getting some colic or digestive issues, you're getting some uh, muscle 
pain. Um, you're going to maybe start seeing kidney failure in a severe situation. So, um, you know, those type of things you want to catch before you get to that scenario, and uh, calling your vet would be the number one thing you want to do so that they can start doing some internal help with your horse, whether it's uh, giving some IV fluids to these horses. Uh, a thumps was another precursor idea she was uh, talking about, which is another very obvious sign that you'd see with these horses. Um, I just want to add, too, this is a good place to interject this, that if everybody who rides, and it doesn't matter what your sport, learns how to measure a horse's heart rate recovery, which means mm -hmm. that that horse should come back down to a, a selected heart rate, usually 66 to 64 beats per minute within about 10 minutes of stopping exercise. That would do a lot to help people um, avoid getting into these situations where their horse is showing uh, exhausted horse syndrome which is, you know, covers a lot of the complex that Dr. Jones was just referring to, the colic, the tying up, the thump, heat exhaustion and all that, and even laminitis. And so if you use a heart rate monitor or uh, learn how to measure your horse's heart rate recovery, this would be a fantastic tool to avoid getting into trouble in the first place while you're riding. Absolutely. I agree. These would be things for you to learn so you're avoiding the extreme situations. So would you recommend, when taking the heart rate, uh, doing that manually um, at the jaw, or is that something that you can buy a heart rate monitor for? What are the ways that, that a rider can monitor that? The heart rate monitor is the best tool. Um, they're not expensive, under $100, really, and you can get them fancy ones that will dump information into your computer. But the problem with jumping off a horse and measuring the heart rate with over 15 seconds is that heart rate will drop by half by the time you get out of the saddle. But if you're looking for recovery, then uh, you can see how quickly that horse does come back down to 60 or 64 beats per minute, either with using a cheap, inexpensive stethoscope or take the pulse under the jaw. Um, but the nice thing about heart rate monitor on board is that you can see what that horse is working at and you can keep that horse within an aerobic range of less than 145 or 50 beats per minute and that will keep you out of trouble a lot of times. There are sports where you're going to be riding that horse at a higher rate, more in the anaerobic threshold, but they should still recover well. And it's a fun tool. Um, everybody would really find a lot of, uh, you know, great uh, experience with it and satisfaction in using something like that. I agree. I think they are well worth the money to spend to get into them if you are doing any kind of high-level sport at that. Whether you're amateur or professional, I think they're very well worth the money. And, and like Dr. Loving said, they're not very expensive. The very expensive ones are the great ones that do the fun stuff downloading to your computer and stuff. But just in general, as you're riding along, all you have to do is glance down, and you've got an, you've got an answer right there in front of you on your saddle of how your heart, heart how your horse is doing heart rate-wise. You bring it down to a walk as you're coming into an area where you may dismount, and you can see how that heart rate's starting to come down, come down, come down. It's, it's a very, very useful tool. Okay. Um, we have a question that's come in from Joan in Florida. This is a little bit of a mystery question. I'll let whoever thinks they have an answer jump in on this one. Um, she says she has a black Arabian that has skin allergies and that his skin peels during the summer months, even though he only goes out at night. Uh, what causes or could be the cause of his skin peeling and is there anything she can do to prevent it and she notes that he does wear a fly sheet to protect him from the bugs any thoughts on what might be going on 
Well, as a Floridian, um, the number one thing is I'd say first, where is the skin peeling occurring? Because it might be areas probably where the, the flesh sheet is not covering. And uh, those are very concerning because those animals are, or those um, gnats or flies are finding an area that's unprotected and they're getting after that animal um, and causing an aller allergic reaction, an allergy reaction, which is why the flesh sheet probably has been placed on this horse to begin with. Um, and that skin peeling is more of an allergic reaction of them rubbing off the skin than it is a true, like a sunburn peel. Okay, so probably more related to insect hypersensitivity rather than being out um, exposed to the heat or the sun. Yeah. Okay. I, I also would just add that if this is a persistent problem, that it would be good to obviously have a veterinarian look at the horse and maybe do a skin biopsy to identify whether it's an autoimmune problem or it's just a fly sensitivity or allergy. Okay. And we have another question regarding black horses. And we, we had gotten a question also about a, a Frisian um, and whether or not black horses get more hot than other horses that may be a light-coated horse. Dr. Jones, you said that you work on a lot of uh, dark-coated, black-coated horses. Do you find that they're more uncomfortable? Yes, they do. Yes, I do. Again, it goes back to the comment that Dr. Loving said, and it's very common in, in her world, in the endurance world, that the reflective heat is something you want to definitely help the horse with, with getting the saddle and pad off to let the horse get some, rid of some of that radiant heat. And the other thing you have to think about is um, the, the color of the um, hair on the uh, the pigment of the horse, is it uh, reflecting off the sun a little bit better or is it absorbing the sun's rays and making them hotter? It's the same as if you would wear a light-colored T-shirt or a dark-colored T-shirt. Um, how hot would you feel underneath that? Okay. Well, I, we... Yes, Dr. Loving. Just one quick experience um, working endurance races back in, on the East Coast, Virginia in particular. It's interesting to check in horses in very hot, humid days they hadn't done any exercise, but the dark horses would be panting, uh, just standing there at the veterinary check-in, and the gray horses would be looking around like nothing was happening. So there is obviously <laughs> some kind of uh, color-related uh, incidence of higher heating thresholds. Okay. Well, we are at the end of our hour, uh, and before we go, I just want to ask each of you, what is the one thing that you would like people to know about managing their horses and riding in the heat because the summer is beautiful we love to ride but what is the best thing that we can do for our horses to protect them from from the heat uh, Dr. Loving do you want to start? Sure. I, I think the most important thing I can think for people to follow is to know what is normal for their horse and learn how to take vital signs so that then you can recognize when something is not quite right and if you do that and especially if you learn to be versed in using a heart rate monitor you can oftentimes avoid a lot of trouble and Dr. Jones? My advice would be always ride during the cooler time of the day and pick the shadiest spot to ride in. You don't have to necessarily ride in the arena all the time. You can pick a nice flat area out in the pasture or paddocks that have good shade and ride in those areas. And it won't matter what time of day if you pick good shade, breezy areas to ride. The other comment with that is, I'm a big fan, as Dr. Loving is, is know your horse's normal temperature, pulse, respiration. Do it on a regular basis. 
the, uh, the stethoscopes are relatively inexpensive at a nurse store, and you can volunteer. This is a big um, uh, shout-out. You can volunteer at a lot of these different type of ride events, three-day eventing and endurance and competitive trail rides, where you can learn how to take a heart rate and a respiratory rate on a horse, and that will give you a lot more practice in checking your own animal out. And that's a great way to make volunteer coordinators really happy at these events. <laughs> so, and I uh, think that it's going to be hovering around 100 here where I live, so I'm going to head up to the mountains where it's a little bit cooler this weekend to ride. So I want to thank you both for joining us, and thanks to everyone who's out there listening live and everyone who sent in questions to make this event possible. We appreciate you tuning in, um, keeping cool maybe for an hour <laughs> this evening. Um, instead of being out with your horses. I want to let everyone know that we will be archiving this live event um, on our website. And if you had a question that didn't get answered, go to thehorse.com, do a search. We have thousands of articles and resources that uh, might just be able to help you out. Uh, everyone, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Loving, Dr. Jones, and have a great night. My pleasure. My pleasure, too. Thank you.